Star Wars Andor, streaming exclusively on Disney+. Plus. Cassian Andor, Empire is choking us. I need all the heroes I can get. From the creators of Rogue One. There is an organized rebel effort. Get a hunt started. Witness the beginning. This is what revolution looks like. Of rebellion. I'm tired of losing. Wouldn't you rather give it all up to something real? Star Wars Andor. Original series streaming September 21st. Exclusively on Disney+. Plus. 18 plus. Subscription required. T's and C's apply. How's your vagina doing, Jamila? Much better for having read this book. Um, <laughs> I feel like that should be. I actually in held it between my legs and let her read it with me, you know, so we could learn at the same time. With thanks to Bailey's, this is the Women's Prize for Fiction podcast, celebrating women's writing, sharing our creativity, our voices, and our perspectives, all while championing the very best fiction written by women around the world. Hello, I'm Zowie Ashton, and I'm your brand new presenter for season four of the Women's Prize for Fiction podcast. The podcast that speaks to women with lives as inspiring as any good fiction to share the five books by women that have shaped them. My guest today has so many talents. She is an incredible actor. She is a presenter, an advocate, an all-round smart, funny woman. It's Jamila Jamil. Jamila started out on T4 in 2009 before becoming the first solo female presenter of the Radio 1 chart show. But it was her move over to the States in 2016 which really propelled her into the international spotlight. She was taking on acting for the very first time in the brilliant NBC series The Good Place and smashed it out of the park. She is a raw, outspoken, honest voice. She is a wonderful friend, someone who supported me so much at the beginning of my own career. She has her absolutely brilliant podcast, uh, I Way and Instagram feed. She's someone who's created a movement that is really encouraging everyone to feel so good about themselves and live in their most authentic spaces. So it's my pleasure to bring you with um, many warnings about bad language, naturally, uh, the very brilliant Jamila Jamil. It's worth letting you know that the following conversation does include references to sexual assault and violence. You're in L.A., and uh, it's about 12.30. I'm in London and it's 8.30. You uh, look, feel and are vibrating on a very LA afternoon frequency. I'm Am vibrating. I? Yes. <laughs> You're wearing, you are wearing a wonderful sparkly sequin jacket, which I feel like I've met you for like coffee or lunch or something all right so then full disclosure i just uh worked out which is why i was a little bit uh late today and i'm still wearing all the clothes i was working out in and i didn't have time to get fucking changed or shower so i put on some eyeliner and some lipstick (laughs) and a sequin jacket to overcompensate for the fact that i um i fucking stink (laughs) i feel like the the sequin jacket is one of those um items of clothes that can and and we should look out for these sort of um, signs more and more, I think, can signal a nervous breakdown. Yes, I feel 100%. Like whenever... That's where I'm at. <laughs> just yeah, projecting yeah it's you. just my, it's like, it's my Elton, you know, my inner Elton. Yeah. 
my inner Liberace, my Barry Manilow. You know, they are in me. And and when I'm particularly stressed, they seep out. Yeah. I actually, um, Jam Jam, was looking um, up adjectives to try and describe you today. Because oh, you're so many things. Okay, you're an activist first. And I love that you say you're an activist before an actress, even though you're a wonderfully Yeah, you know what, though? I've actress. stopped saying activist. I'm what saying advocate. That? I'll start saying advocate because actually I think maybe, I don't think maybe, I think definitely, us privileged people and actresses and actors and yeah, just a bunch of people who are so well protected and well insulated. I don't know if we deserve the title of activist, however hard we may go, because we are not grassroots we're not on the ground risking our lives taking rubber bullets and tear gas I feel as though we need to be very careful that we don't continue to just take up way too much space in the activism section and then kind of step over the people who are actually risking their fucking lives like I'm tweeting aggressive things I'm going and speaking in congress uh and I have security with me when I go and do that I'm very aware of the fact that the circumstances in which I'm doing it are different to most other like lifelong activists. So I say advocate, but yeah, I'm an advocate first and, and everything else afterwards. This is why I love you as a person and why I deeply respect you as uh, as a public figure is because you are constantly pressing refresh on yourself mm. and not many people do that. And I love the term feminist in development that you've also used. Feminist in progress. In progress, sorry, in development. Mm-hmm. I'm using the, um, the, clearly the LA term. You're using, there, the, no, you're using the much more, you're using the much more like educated, like <laughs> eloquent version of it. It is something that is supposed to change and it's a river that is supposed to flow. Being an advocate, being an activist, being someone who's standing up for issues outside of our, like you said, very blanketed world in the arts. Because the stances that you've taken on, I'm just going to sort of underplay them, tricky social issues, has been really exemplary. And this refresh button that you constantly press on yourself to move with the vital uh, moments that are occurring in different issues, I think shows someone who is incorruptible who is not going to lean into any um, any outside toxicity. And I know that's not easy, Jamila. No, it's not. And I'm, I'm, I'm walking quite a fine line here. And I'm also trying to kind of tread new ground as a public figure who is open about their mistakes. Mm. And who doesn't, you know, especially as a woman, when you make a mistake, you're encouraged just to fuck off and disappear and kind of almost cancel yourself you know like we see mm. that repeatedly in history like the, the the public or the media or whatever like the school turns on the woman the woman removes herself and I have made a point of not removing myself even when I really really want to um, because I think it's very important that you know I didn't see women coming back from mistakes or women learning in public or women growing in public I didn't really get to see women grow they were either presented to me as perfect until they were ultimately dragged down to the ground through the gutter by their pubes um or I didn't see women say anything at all 
you know i just saw mm. women say whatever you know either be you know pretty and silent or say whatever it was that the patriarchy wanted them to say and yeah. so i thought it was important for me to be you know as flawed as i really am in front of people to show my progress in real time show my workings out remember like at maths you know, in math school, uh, not in math school, out. but in school, <laughs> in math, you know, if you wouldn't, you wouldn't get the full mark if you didn't show your workings out. If you yeah. arrived at the perfect answer, it didn't matter unless you showed, showed your workings out. And I really feel that way that that's my responsibility as an advocate to be like, all right, I'm uneducated. I'm a fuck up. I am very mentally ill uh, on and off in different, you know, on a spectrum of mental illness. Um, it gets worse and it gets better sometimes. I, um, I'm i not super well read, which is why I don't know why you had me on this podcast. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I, I have a tremendous amount of ignorance and that doesn't discourage me from wanting to be better, wanting to learn, wanting to do better. We don't have a lot of encouragement towards progress. We devalue progress in this current day and age. And that's why I have my podcast, I Weigh, to try and learn publicly in front of other people rather than like preach to people from some sort of soapbox pretending that I am omniscient. I'm not, I don't know shit about fuck, but I am trying and I'm learning and I think we need to make trying and learning cool because otherwise no one's going to try and no one's going to learn anything soon because we've made, we've created such a untenably, uh, unwelcoming space you know that's that expression that the left are just looking for traitors and not converts mm. and I really feel like that's a palpable feeling currently and so, so we true. need to be more welcoming and we need to see more women accepting each other's mistakes and mostly accepting their own mistakes and understanding that our best learning comes from when we make mistakes that's when our neurologically we are most impacted by new information mm. And so, you know, I'm not saying you should be callous. Uh, I'm certainly not callous. And a lot of people say that I'm a white feminist for saying that I'm learning. But there's so many different things to learn about that I I don't understand that thinking. I think it's really mortifying when people say that sort of thing publicly because um, we are always learning. There's always more to learn about. And, and if you care about multiple different subjects, uh, then you will always need to update yourself. And I think... A lot of social justice work and, and activism has kind of been dragged into academia and that's great because then it was, you know, studied in more depth. But also it means that most of us got left out and we so don't know true. all of the terminology and a lot of people don't know what cognitive dissonance is and all the kind of different terminology that gets used constantly now around really basic issues of just like humanity and equality. Mm. We've made it much more complicated than it needs to be and we've set the bar really high and kind of turned it into like a Soho House membership. You know, like you have to be some sort of elite to be allowed into social justice. What kind of luxury do we think we're in that we can pick and choose who mm. helps right now? We all need to, we need everyone to scrap in. Doesn't matter necessarily about their past if they haven't done irrevocable harm mm. doesn't matter if someone's annoying doesn't matter if someone said something shitty on twitter 10 years ago and they have not demonstrated that same behavior in the last 10 years yeah Let's take the help we can get do we think we're winning do we think things are going well and so i'm so just right. trying to be that's why i call myself a feminist in progress it's why i learn publicly and it's why i won't fuck off even though i probably should i wonder when you say I'm not very well read, um, mm -hmm. which I just don't think is true, um, because it, I think if you've read is. one book, then that's well read enough. But sure. why I invite people onto this podcast and people like you specifically onto this podcast that I'm guest hosting is because it really is about exploring the stories that we are 
told about ourselves and the stories we tell ourselves and how the narratives of our lives um, navigate so much of our experience. And I wonder if actual books, like what what role have have books played in your life? But more importantly, what role have has have stories played in your life? When you first asked me to come to this podcast, I practically said no because you were asking me about literature and literature is not actually something that I have read very much of in my entire life and I think part of that comes down to the fact that I don't I'm not a terribly creative person according to me and I don't have a great imagination like the things that I watch are mostly uh, based on true stories rather than uh, anything in the fantasy world I think Marvel is probably one of the only places that my imagination can somehow take hold uh, and now being in Marvel after a life of living not a terribly uh, imaginary fueled existence feels um, fun and discombobulating but in my life I haven't really read many fictional stories I tend to find fact and true stories or the literal moments of humanity much scarier much more fantastical much more beautiful than anything my mind could ever conjure up Mm. and it's something I I wish I could do but I already have such a short attention span that um the times in which I can focus to read I try and just ingest as much information as I can so I've brought five books that are non- fiction based to this podcast. I love that you've brought a completely new texture to to this series because you have chosen books that are non-fiction and so many of them are kind of manifestos and each one is extremely potent and powerful in in their own ways and I think we should just jump straight in because they're all kind of in dialogue with each other so I feel like we can just flow really easily between them all your first book choice is hunger a memoir of my body by roxanne gay roxanne is just such a sensational person i'm so glad that someone has finally chosen one of her books she rose to fame as an internet diarist on tumblr taking full advantage of the emerging platform in 2012 she posted feminism brackets plural a short manifesto that became the introduction of her blockbuster 2014 essay collection bad feminist in which she explores the contradictions that being part of the movement can bring with it. She is now an author and New York Times columnist with a huge readership. She's also the first black woman to write for Marvel Comics. Did you know that about Roxanne? No, I didn't know that. (laughs) Yes, yes. Groundbreaking. The two of you are meant to be, your two Marvel sisters. This is her critically acclaimed, deeply personal memoir in which she writes with radical candour about a rape she survived at the age of 12, her complex relationship to food, fat phobia, and the struggles that come with having both a public and private identity. I mean, knowing you as I know you, I don't really need to ask what you loved about this book, but tell me why this book resonated with you. I'm I'm so drawn to um, transparency. I think it's something I didn't grow up around necessarily um, amongst the people I grew up with. And and I think that's partly cultural. People hide their feelings um, in South Asian cultures and they just swallow their sadness, swallow their rage, especially the women. And so whenever I see a woman just 
laying it all bare, I um I just feel very inspired and emboldened and humbled. And I think, you know, from Bad Feminist has such a massive impact on me and it was one of the first times I really felt seen in this space as a kind of I think I was entering the space of feminism around the time that that book came out and struggling with my own hypocrisies. But the reason I chose Hunger is um, because that book had such a huge impact on me and so many women I know. Um, and not just in the the fact that Roxanne talks so openly about the heinous thing that happened to her as such a young child um, regarding the sexual assault, but the nuanced impact that had on her relationship to her body mm. and the fact that no one really talks about that no one talked about that very much before Roxanne about the ways that trauma can play out physically on your body not just inside of your body not just inside your mind and the ways in which you try to eat to kind of build a a fortress around yourself or you are trying to literally physically push down your feelings with food all things that I can relate to um I struggled with sexual abuse in my life and uh different types of abuse and food was a huge coping mechanism for me and that had never been explained to me as as something I was doing to survive, to be able to control my life. I was always just told I was lazy and greedy and bad and stupid. And uh, I never had anyone to turn to and no book, no magazine anywhere that was saying that like maybe you are stuffing yourself to the point of discomfort because you're mm. trying to process something that mm. your mind just isn't ready for because you were just too young. And so this book has such a remarkable impact on me. Mm. And finally, I mean, the way that she talks is just, I mean, she she makes you never want to open your mouth again because she perfectly words everything that you've always wanted to say. And she does it concisely and beautifully and unpretentiously. She's such an unpretentious writer. And so the nakedness of this book, um, as well as everything she then goes on to explain about the way that we treat people in bigger bodies, the way that she feels about herself, you know, her, her journey with weight loss and weight gain and, um, and what that's meant for her. Wow. It's just so remarkable. That is my dog in the background, sorry. It's, he loves Roxanne Gay. <laughs> that's why. Her up. Yeah. <laughs> that's one of the biggest advocates in the background. It's yeah. so true what you're saying about the really unexplored country of trauma and its impact on the body and how it keeps your body does keep the score and unresolved grief residing in anyone's system is going to be something that uh, subconsciously is driving so much of their behavior food aside right oh totally I would oscillate between trying to make I was so torn like we think so often of eating disorders um, and eating disorders are not just under eating they can also be quote unquote overeating mm. um, but we think of them as a vanity thing or a not caring not having enough vanity according to society and really it's 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 often neither of those things it's often an emotional and psychological trauma or illness like it's a it's a disease eating disorders anorexia is the highest cause of death in any mental illness these aren't things that people know about or take seriously and you know i would oscillate between wanting to make my body 
bigger and less attractive because I knew that society had told me that a bigger body isn't attractive, especially back in the 90s, you know, when it was heroin chic. Mm -hmm. And so I would want my body to be bigger so that no one would look at me in a sexual way. Mm -hmm. Um, And then other times I would panic and then realize that I was invisible in society and being bullied because of that big body. And then I would go and starve myself and starve myself and starve myself until my period stopped. And so I've had such a long and boring and sad and traumatic and wasteful relationship with my body for 20 years and didn't really understand it until the conversation that Roxanne kicked off. Wow. And and I now look at the stuffing myself to the point where I can't breathe. So I was literally on the you know phone on Skype with my boyfriend at the time, having stuffed myself to the point where I could only talk to him when I was on all fours, not in a sexy way at all, not in at all, like covered in pancake batter. I uh, I used to look at that as a weakness and now I look at any of those coping mechanisms, starving myself or stuffing myself as an amazing survival technique because at least I'm still here. Roxanne also talks about this love-hate relationship with the uh, internal self and the external self, the, the private and the public identities that are deeply hard to navigate and a choice um but nonetheless difficult um and I wonder how that works for you Jamila and and how you manage to navigate uh these sensitivities that you had around your own body and identity whilst keeping this private and public persona kind of alive enough to do your work you know it took a minute um but I think what has finally been digested fully like into my soul is you know it's no longer something I just say on a surface level like I probably did when I was 24 um it's that I really don't feel like it's anyone's fucking business Mm. anything about I don't think anything about me is anyone's fucking business and and even if I choose to share it your opinion about that thing doesn't really matter to me I've been raised you know if you are socialized as female you are uh you are you are taught that you have to be liked and approved of and believed and it's just simply not true you don't have to be liked or approved of or believed or fancied or whatever whatever other thing we were told is our sole purpose in this life oh it was um, definitely fancied yeah it wasn't getting fancied. a degree at one point it no. was like <laughs> yeah. I have to be fancied or who will I... buy me from my dad um yeah <laughs> god that was so recent that was so recent in in our times that people could just buy us from our dad and we didn't have a choice mm. um but it's no longer my responsibility to be liked or approved of or fancied or you know um believed i uh, i recognize that as a woman in the public eye i'm just not going to be afforded those luxuries uh, and if at all not for very long because there's always like a year and a half that a woman is allowed kind of allowed any kind of um i don't know glory or celebration or just like um afforded some like mild level of humanity from the media and social media and the public uh it's about a year year and a half um before you are destroyed it's a a very well oiled system and it's it's been amazing to be inside of that system that I used to watch as an outsider as a kid I would watch a woman be loved and loved and then they would have so many photographs for everywhere so overexposed so overexposed so hyperbolized as to how beautiful or amazing or talented or excellent or decent she was and then 
there would come a point where the public would become sick of her face and they would start to present her as smug. Her smile would suddenly be positioned as overly self-confident. And so then she's primed for an easy kill in front of everyone. And how delicious the public finds it to watch a woman fall from grace. A woman who thought she was so talented or so funny or so helpful or so... I don't know, educated, how we love to to watch her be decimated in public. It's just the stocks. The stocks have just become, they're just, they've just moved online like the rest of the world. We still crave to see people shamed and destroyed, mm. especially a woman. We afford so many second chances to a man. When a man fucks up, even in a massive way, if he fucking assaults someone, he has afforded the big double page spread uh, where he's he's very brooding in all the pictures. They're very grainy, very yeah. focusing in on his wrinkles to demonstrate his, his wisdom and his dignity because we find Fragrance male wrinkles campaign. very, yeah. oh yeah. And he's talking about his abusive childhood. We get context about why he maybe behaved the way he did and what he's done and he's gone to rehab. He's a new man now. We're celebrating like what a big person he was. We don't do that for women. Yeah. We can't believe it when they stick around. We expect them to fuck off and die in a bin. Which kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about deciding not to do that with myself. And and the only way I was able to make the decision to stick around was just to realise that I'm probably not going to be given a fighting chance for very long. As soon as I saw everyone treat me as if I was, you know, Gandhi with tits uh, about in like 2018 and, you know, like Harper's Bazaar said, the feminist hero we need, I knew I was fucked. I knew I was fucked. The Time magazine thing, naming me one of the 25 most influential, it was like a... It was like a like a warning shot for me mm. as mm. to what was coming. It's that moment where you're at like Alton Towers and you're just about to to um you're at the top of the roller coaster waiting for the drop. That's mm. what that year felt like for me. I knew it was coming. I didn't know I think it was twenty nineteen actually. I didn't know the ways in which I would be targeted and discriminated against and gaslit and maligned would be so insidious and so disgusting. Insidious mm. and blatant at the same time. But it was one of the best things that ever happened to me because it divorced me from the expectation of myself to be appealing in any way to mm. all of these different individual beings with all these different individual tastes. I can't believe yeah. I ever put that on myself. I can't yeah. believe I ever thought that I, as one individual, have to be palatable to all these different billions of people mm. who simply want different things. We don't even know what we want from public figures or from women. We're still figuring it out. We've still got so much internalised misogyny in us, women and men and non-binary people. I, Before we move on to your second choice, I, I, I'd love to hear from you. It's not a brief subject matter, but briefly about how how you feel you're uh, able to manage those expectations now that you've joined one of the biggest franchises in the world, which is the Marvel Universe, and how you feel about stepping into the the shoes of a female character in that world that <laughs> could be interpreted so many different ways when it comes to how she looks and, and behaves. Well, without wanting to talk at all about my character or anything like that I'm just really glad that I'm old I'm so happy and thrilled that I'm old I don't know what this would have done to me as a 21 year old I can't believe people do this at 21 I'm so so happy that I am fully formed absolutely battered haggard 
even um, emotionally and physically and ready for it. Like I'm exactly the right amount of jaded where I now feel kind of like a, a white man. You know, I have that feeling of unbreakability that a white man would have. And I think that's what you need to enter this like kind of next level of potential attention or fame or scrutiny that comes with a franchise like this. And so I'm ready. I'm ready for it all. And I also personally think, you know, from what I've experienced with the Marvel Universe, um, being someone who unexpectedly quite loved all of those films and TV shows, like they are uh, nice. They are. They seem like a nice crowd. I think they seem like a nice crowd, the Marvel fans. And so I'm really excited to meet them and get to know them and they've been really cool to me since I was announced so I have no idea what's coming but I'm definitely the readiest for it that I've ever been I don't think I could go through much worse touch wood than what I've already been through publicly you know having like my disabled mother or my disabled brother being pictures of them being floated around with them being mocked and ridiculed by cunt bloggers on the internet um <laughs> I just I I think I've I think they've thankfully maxed me out uh, early, mm. where where I need it the most, I need the I need the immunity the most, and so so, okay. um, so now I actually feel quite ready and quite up for it, and very very excited to take the opportunity of the platform that comes with Marvel to spread hopefully this rhetoric and this confidence and this lack of fucks to give mm. to as many other people as I can, specifically women. The podcast is made in partnership. Star Wars Andor, streaming exclusively on Disney+. Cassian Andor. Empire's choking us. I need all the heroes I can get. From the creators of Rogue One. There is an organized rebel effort. Get a hunt started. Witness the beginning. This is what revolution looks like. Of rebellion. I'm tired of losing. Wouldn't you rather give it all to something real? Star Wars Andor, original series streaming September 21st, exclusively on Disney+. Plus. 18+, plus subscription required. T's and C's apply. With Bailey's Irish Queen. Bailey's is proudly supporting the Women's Prize for Fiction by helping showcase incredible writing by remarkable women, celebrating their accomplishments and getting more of their books into the hands of more people. Bailey's is the perfect adult treat, whether in coffee, over ice cream, or paired with your favourite book. Enjoying the Women's Prize for Fiction podcast? Share the literary love and be a part of the future of the Women's Prize Trust by supporting our charitable programmes for writers and readers. Donations of all sizes help us to continue empowering women, regardless of their age, race, nationality or background, to raise their voice and own their story. Search for Support the Women's Prize to find out more. Your second bookshelfie is Period Power by Maisie Hill, mm-hmm. a book that I have read. Maisie Hill is a, a Margate dweller somewhere that I, I used to live and uh, developed a very special relationship to my womb, probably living by the sea. And so it's no wonder that she's written such a comprehensive book. 
this is a book for anyone who feels their period is taking over their life and affecting their mental health. It's designed to help people who menstruate understand and take control of their monthly cycle by learning everything they need to holistically know about periods and how they affect our bodies and our mental health and how to harness their often overlooked superpowers. Why is this book on your list, Jamila? Because I know why it was on my bookshelf. It changed my fucking life. Mm. I like because of the way that again we're socialized. We're taught that our period is some sort of weakness. It's a sh- It's something to be ashamed of. It's disgusting. And you know the way that we would be gaslit about any of our extreme reactions. Not even extreme reactions. Just a, any reaction. Be like, are you on your period? So being on your period felt like something that you were uh, weak to succumb to. And so that made me very defensive unconsciously my whole life about pretending like my period didn't exist. Like it was something that I would just not tell anyone about. I would survive it discreetly. I would thrive, if anything, through it and almost brag about not having intense periods. Mm -hmm. You know, just like just sort of brag about like, oh, no, 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 I don't really get PMS. Of course, of course I did. Of course I did, but Why I'd convinced that myself at one that point? I didn't. I know, I know, but because because <laughs> we're pandering really to to trying to defy men's expectations of us because we're labelled as quote unquote crazy, which is so ridiculous. I think it was Riz Ahmed who told me about the nut mist. Have you ever heard about the nut mist? No. He talks about, he's like, he's like, I don't know why women are always painted as so hormonal because every like, th- men have like a three day cycle, never mind a 28 day cycle, where if they don't come, I mean, he didn't use these exact words because he's like a very eloquent and uh, special man. Um, but, you know, essentially, if you don't, I mean, he did call it the nut mist for God's sake, but he said, if you don't, if you basically don't nut, <laughs> then you behave like gorillas in the mist, that men behave like gorillas in the mist. And that's why it's called the nut mist. You don't that come. is brilliant. The fact that that isn't yet a podcast is confusing to me. I know. I <laughs> would make that rom-com with him 100%. Let's, let's do it. Um, and it's so true. It's so true. Men men and women are not educated about their hormonal imbalances or fluctuations mm. that massively impact their behaviour. So mm. to have a book that doesn't just explain my period to me and explain my hormones to me, but also teaches me how to harness that information to uh, to protect myself and empower myself is incredible. Like there is a certain, you know, she breaks up the, the month of your cycle into seasons. Yeah, so like that. spring, summer, autumn, winter. And these are the kind of ways that you can kind of digest what part of your period you're in. And there are certain, certain uh, seasons of your period in which you are extra... Um, able and switched on and creative and able to be productive and so if you know when that week is coming around you can plan your life mm. according to that it's like okay fine that this is the week I'm going to really get shit done mm. and next week I know I'm going to be fatigued and exhausted and sleep deprived and, and need to be in a kind of floatier more tender space great that's the week then I will then maybe pull back god I wish I'd had this information when I was Me younger too. when I had dissertations or when I had a show to do and, and she's so committed to what she preaches that when I was trying to book her on my podcast I had to do it based on her cycle isn't that fucking amazing have you ever heard of that before can you imagine any woman being that like or any person with periods like ever just honoring themselves and their bodies like that 
It's she so was like, I, I'm so sorry, I won't be able to do that because that's a couple of days before my period. So like that won't be the right time in my cycle. I won't be switched on enough. So we'll do it. And I had to wait until she was ready for her cycle. And I thought, what a fucking boss. That is so inspiring to me. And it's that. made me like want to send like Marvel my period schedule. <laughs> like, just be like, can I do can I do stunts around this time, please? <laughs> it never occurred to me. In. Like I've just done six months of training on all kinds of times in my cycle where I should have been lying down or I should have been trying new stuff and breaking new ground like at a certain time where I'm more productive and switched on. I'm. It has changed the way that I look at things. I've given it to my boyfriend to read. I also live with three other men. I've given it to them to read. So they can understand my fucking cycle. This needs to be a, an open conversation. You think, you think you know about your body and your periods, but you really have no idea until you've read this book. Honestly, it should be mandatory reading for all genders. I'm going to travel towards your third book choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is keeping in this incredible conversation that I think is across all of your book choices, which is our uh, rights to our own body and our rights to our own feelings about our own body and rights to communicating with the wider world mm. about where we're at internally. Uh, and your third book choice is The Transgender Issue by Sean Fay. Mm-hmm. The Transgender Issue is a landmark work, isn't it? It's trying to start a new, healthier conversation about trans life. It's a manifesto for change. It's a call for justice and solidarity between all marginalised people, really. Uh, The book moves beyond the media simplified idea of a culture war to explore really what it's like to be trans in a still very transphobic society. And I find it to be a call for empathy and compassion. Um, Tell me about why you've chosen this book. Again, another book that should be mandatory reading. Um, I think that Sean Fay is such a genius and someone who I'm so intimidated by. And when she was on my podcast, I've never never felt like more of a dithering git. Um, she's so educated and you know has a history in law and journalism. And what she's done with this book is so special because she has chosen not to make it personal. She is writing. She is a trans woman who is writing about the trans experience and trans justice, but not really bringing herself very much into it, which I think is the tendency. It's certainly what publishers would have pushed her to do. Mm. But she decided to make a bulletproof argument where she couldn't be accused of bringing her emotions into it or being biased. She's just written a kind of factual manifesto as to why trans liberation would lead to the liberation of all people Mm. and what's amazing about it is that it's the kind of book that you know all of these like this this terrifying rise in transphobia and trans violence that we've seen in the last like it's in violence against trans people um like mainstream media like large public figures politicians like everyone jumping in out of nowhere as if trans people have just suddenly started to exist since 2016 like it's just been this like terrifying rise in hatred and division and I think they're being used as a diversion tactic away from all the different things that our government and our media are doing to suppress all minorities Mm. they've just decided to create this kind of dog whistling clusterfuck against a very endangered minority which is trans people and so this book is a perfect response to that what she's done is she's 
she's so kindly you know they often people modernized people often say like we shouldn't have to do the labor to educate you about our experience but she mm. has gone and done that in a way that is so generous and excellently written and concise and unpretentious it's 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 written in plain language that someone like me can understand and it's great for combating the ignorance but also great to read if you're already uh, someone who stands in solidarity with trans people because it gives you the bulletproof talking points that you need to be mm. able to educate the people around you this is a book that all of us need to read we should have this book in schools because it's a great education there's history in there she also doesn't just uh stick to the you know the elite and the the wealthy amongst trans people you know that they're, they're kind of presented as quite like kind of bourgeois and like um and uh people who have access to great luxury mm. those are the trans people that we tend to see in mainstream media mm. but we don't talk about all of the people who are working class or who you know live in poor backgrounds who don't have the money to transition or the access yeah. to healthcare to transition she focuses on their stories as well it really just covers the whole spectrum of the trans community and it's eye-opening and refreshing and important that's why i chose that book i wonder if you have any uh thoughts about how biological women and trans women, how biological men and trans men can, how biological women and biological men can be better allies. I think first and foremost, just educate yourself. Go and buy the transgender issue. I think that our, our fear is always based in ignorance you know it's we fear what we don't know and what we don't understand um so i would say educate yourself educate the people around you and and recognize that actually trans people are so much freer than us you know look at the statistics in male suicide like young male suicide men are not okay they're not okay because patriarchy did a just as much of a but just a different number on them they're not allowed to express their feelings. These toxic stereotypes that they are, you know, steeped in and they're marinating in from like adolescence onward, where all of their kind of humanity is stripped away from them and they're just kind of told they're not allowed to feel. It's having a very like very clear and distinct impact on them. Mm. So gender stereotypes are harming us all. They're harming women. Like I know that I wasn't. I've never been a very girly girl. Mm. I uh, was teased because of that and bullied because of that and my uh sexuality was mocked because of that I just didn't I didn't um fit in and so rather than I, I really wish I could have just been allowed to flourish and be me and not spend so much time wishing I was someone else I just wasted that time I couldn't change who I was I just wished I was someone else mm. I couldn't fundamentally change my interests we are all so held back by these fucking stereotypes and trans people they um, they discard those stereotypes. They live true freedom. And I think that's why a lot of people are very threatened by them. I think they're afraid of people who are so free, who don't feel as though they have to subscribe to these like these ridiculous rules. It's so arbitrary, the rules that we're given, the pink and the blue, like all of it. It's so, it's so cliche, it's so embarrassing. Mm. And so these people who choose not to exist within the binary you know, or even if you do just like choose to exist within the binary, they they understand that gender is a construct, 
and they're able to form their own version of how they wish to proceed in life. Most of us don't really have the courage to do that. We mm. fall in line because we're, you know, it's tribalism. We're afraid of being ostracized if we step, you know, um, outside of the pack and do something slightly yeah. differently. We're so worried about being rejected. They don't have that in the same way. Mm. And so we should learn from them and look to them rather than try to destroy them because mm. they've existed forever. This isn't a new thing. And so I think that, you know, it's sad that we once used to, especially in many cultures, used to regard trans people as the kind of almost the highest in our society, the wisest people. They were treated with so much dignity and respect. What happened to us? Mm. Devolution. Yeah. I mean, devolution. Yeah. So I'll put Jamila. I'm going to move us on to your fourth bookshelfy choice. And that is The Vagina Bible by Dr. Mm -hmm. Jennifer Gunter. Now, this is one of the most brilliant guides. There is so much confusing and contradictory information out there about our vaginas, like our periods. But Dr. Gunter has a vagenda. She is on a mission to dismantle the common misconceptions about vaginal health and her best-selling book aims to educate and empower us with the facts. Dr. Gunter is an expert on women's health and covers everything from genital hygiene to the vaginal microbiome. Yeah, did you know what that is? No, probably not. Read the book. To which thongs will keep your vagina most happy and the way the vagina is now monetized with growing vaginal trends, including cosmetic surgery and vaginal steaming. How's your vagina doing, Jamila? Much better for having read this book. Um, <laughs> I feel like that should be. I actually a held it between my legs and let her read it with me, you know, so we could learn at the same time. Um, yeah, it's an fucking important masterpiece. Question. I know there's a lot of fanny, you know, in my book choices, um, but it's important. And it's, uh, and again, this book is just so well written. It's so funny. It's very trans inclusive, like early in the book, like maybe in the first 20 pages, I think she brings up um, trans women's uh, vaginal issues, etc. And trans men's vaginal issues. She's just the fucking best and she teaches you about the history of gynecology or the lack thereof and like how little information we actually have of it why um how the system is kind of set up against women and um, people socialized as female she explains orgasm she explains like parts of the the hormonal system again like differently to this isn't at all it's nothing at all like um Maisie Hill's book and it's a very kind of like um biology based but extremely relatable and profound again I mean it really is a bible it is a bible mm. it's a guide through your life and she's written other books now about the menopause and um and sh and how much she goes into the way that we've gone from woefully neglecting the vagina and gaslighting mm. women and not explaining endometriosis and all these different things that happen to our bodies that we are we are told aren't happening polycystic ovarian syndrome like all these different things she explains it all to you i mean i didn't even know until i read her book that i'm not supposed to be in agony during a regular checkup at yeah. gynecologist I thought yeah. that was normal because I'm treated with no, or until recently I was treated with no humanity, no care. I'm a trauma victim around sexual assault. And so I find it very triggering to go to a gynecologist and have something stuck up myself uh, in some cold, like, you know, clinical room. 
and it's it's extremely painful for me and I have to be practically sedated and I have to be held down by four nurses just to have a basic pap smear mm. and so I there are a lot of people out there who are actually like this and we don't need to have it just shoved up us and be traumatized sorry to be so graphic but that's what happened to me most of my life so I ended up not going to gynecologists as often as I should have and therefore missed symptoms of very dangerous things mm. and she explains what a gynecology appointment is supposed to be like what gynecological care is supposed to like what it really is supposed to entail she's just fucking liberating and a diehard feminist and she hates the new trend of the sticking stuff up your vagina to make it to clean it that's not a thing your vagina is like a self-cleaning cleaning oven mm. uh you're not to put these things are bad for you <laughs> you're going to give yourself thrush if you try and change its odor it's scent. we shouldn't be like demonizing the vagina and making it seem like this disgusting smelly thing like everything always just tailored towards what would a man like what would he find less scary or less boring about our vaginas mm. she talks about the labia and like vagina plastic just it's the exact opposite of everything we read in women's magazines that fucked us all up yeah. and she dispels all of the myths and it's a again a must read for every gender we all could stand to understand the thing that we came out of better I couldn't agree more. I, I'm I'm having vivid flashbacks of going to see the vagina monologues with my mum when I was 12. And mm -hmm. if you've read that play or seen that play, you will know that pretty much halfway through there is a real crescendo. And uh, every person in the audience is asked by this one particular actor to stand up and reclaim the word cunt. And... At 12, standing <laughs> up next to my mum, who, who, you know, she's, she's, she's an edgy lady, but I think even she was kind of uh, slightly reticent about um, standing up next to her 12-year-old daughter and, and putting her fist in the air and yelling the word cunt over and over again. <laughs> I don't think she will ever know, or anyone who is performing in that play, how life-changing that was for me mm. at 12. Because once I got over the giggles about shouting a naughty word, what started to vibrate throughout the room was this liberation, genuine liberation. And it feels, it feels so strange to now be in my sort of mid to late 30s and to have really kind of lost sight of that. I feel like I only really address my vagina when something is wrong. Yeah. Honestly, you know? when it's about to drop off my body is the only time I'll even think twice about my vagina. Why is that? Why Why do we it's misogyny, feel... Misogyny, because we've been taught that it's like ugly and weird and wrong and just there for men, but men shouldn't have to see it. They should just feel it and it should smell like, I don't know, like a packet of wine gums or whatever they want it to smell like. <laughs> like, for fuck's sake. I. It's just, It's just patriarchy. It's all patriarchy. The fact that we have not been taught to understand this vital part, like this sort of opening to our internal organs, like this vital part of our lives, just continues to be so embarrassing from men. How dare they? They're so embarrassing. We all would have been better off knowing more about this. Mm. We don't find penises. I mean, some of us find penises quite scary, but, you know, like we don't find the penis or the balls or prostate cancer or scrotum check, like all these different things. That, they're just not as like appalling and hidden as the vagina has been all this time. 
And so we've just really got to, I mean, even the names for it, terrible, a growler. Why did we call it a growler? I mean, it's funny, but a growler. That's so violent. So awful. You're so right. The, the Beef curtains. of language when talking. Oh, stop me in my tracks. Sorry. <laughs> Plunge. My God. I'm sorry. I've really like, I've gone, <laughs> gone down a path here. Just pull me back. Pull me back. I'm sorry. Let's move on to your fifth and final book this week. It is Everything's Trash But It's Okay by the brilliant Phoebe Robinson. Phoebe Robinson is a stand-up comedian best known for the award-winning podcast turned TV series Two Dope Queens. She's now an author of three books and founder of publishing imprint Tiny Reparations Books. She's just one of the most deft and hilarious cultural commentators around and this book is a collection of essays that explores a wide range of topics from body image to intersectionality and feminism to our culture of overwork. It's a call to action inspiring women to use their voices for change. This feels like it encapsulates the whole conversation that we've been having this episode. Tell me about why this has made it onto your list. Well, because I also love reading comedy. And what I love about Phoebe is that Phoebe is able to break down huge societal issues, but in such a, an inimitable and hilarious way. And I mean, her new book, Please Don't Sit on My Bed in Your Outside Clothes, is also a must read. Um, and I'd say almost maybe probably her best book so far. But the reason I chose Everything's Trash, But It's Okay, is just because had such a huge impact on me I'd never seen anyone talk about these things the way that she does and it's just honestly like it takes a while to read her uh, that book because there are so many jokes packed into every single paragraph like good jokes that you want to go back over it so you didn't miss anything mm. um it's so well written she was so young when she wrote it and she talks about so many taboo things um talking about her body and talking about uh I guess, you know, like dating a white man as a young black woman and, and what that means to other people and how she feels about that. And she also talks about, I think this is one of the things that really stood out to me, about money, mm. which we just don't have enough women in particular talking about. We're 80% of consumers and yet we are given little to no guidance, I think, very deliberately as to how to manage our funds, you know. And as much as capitalism is grotesque and responsible for so much pain in this world currently under the current system sadly financial freedom is one of the main ways that women don't have to live under the kind of under the control of men mm. you know it's it's how we are able to be independent and it's incredibly sad that that's the only way we can be given kind of autonomy over our own lives. But I think it's really important that we have the conversation about money, that we teach women how to budget, how to save. All women are encouraged to do is to spend. We are constantly told that we're broken in every way. We don't have enough. We are not enough. So that we will go out and buy remedies to fix what we were told is broken. We're never taught to invest in our mental health. We're never taught to save. We're never encouraged to... We're encouraged to get the nice bag or the new bum or the you know whatever like the latest must have quote unquote must have or the it thing mm. we're never taught to budget and save for a house or 
you know, uh, congratulated for paying off our student loans, all these different things. And so she talks about her relationship with money and going kind of bankrupt and having to work her way out of a debt. I mean, her pa- she didn't even tell her parents about it. And they found out when the book came out to read about it in her book um you know and so she just breaks down these um these conversations that are normally so stigmatized and Mm. she breaks them down in a way that just feel like you're having the conversation with your best friend it's the warmest book you you, like I carried it everywhere with me for months um and uh just fell madly in love with her through the book and now I'm just so delighted that the next book is also fucking exceptional. Um, but she's really masterful and there's nothing else out there quite like it. And it just made me realise that you can have these hard, scary conversations mm. with humour. And actually, that's probably much more effective than just screaming at people. You do that for me, Jamila. I feel like there's a lot of overlap with you and Phoebe. Um when feminism and any issue that um, on paper makes people sort of run for the hills is intertwined with laughter, that's when I personally um, am in a very sweet spot. I don't know if you've seen any of the uh, new Will Smith documentary recently around um, his uh, new memoir that he's publishing, Will, but he said something... Is that one where he throws up when he comes? I don't know about that bit. That's what I've heard. That's what I've heard. <laughs> it was a bit that actually relates slightly closer to uh, your good self or Phoebe's good self. He <laughs> he said that when he was making The Fresh Prince and was essentially the, the only... Uh, the only black man at the table with huge uh, executives and uh, and um, people making money from from his talent, right? He said, being able to make people laugh is what always endeared him to himself, but also to those people sitting at those tables. Yeah. Almost like you have to be so funny, people forget you're brown. It's the, it's the that's amazing. That. It's the spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down. I mean, I don't think I would have any of the things I have if it weren't for comedy and how that has kind of you're kind of accepted immediately as a friend if you make someone laugh. And so uh Phoebe is just so masterful at that. And she doesn't pull any punches, by the way. She's mm. extremely direct, but she you don't you don't know it's happening. You're just learning without realising and that's my favourite way to learn and it's what I kind of try to do with my podcast and with um, the iWay Instagram is just try and not make it feel like something intimidating, not make you feel like you're at school, make you feel like this is something fun and exciting and silly, you know, and I that's why I burden my listeners with all of my stupid and mortifying stories amidst very serious conversations with very esteemed, educated, excellent people who have to tolerate their stories. But what's but it's great about your podcast is you're so disarming in that way. I'm sure all of those people have come with some kind of, you know, slightly pre-scripted approach because they are all brilliant or like excellent pundits or so uh versed in you know whatever yeah, yeah, of course of course you know their field is and that disarming nature of your humor gets to nuggets that i probably don't think they even <laughs> expected to share i mean do you think you've used humor as a way to disarm in your career in your life 100 it's been my defense mechanism my whole life you know i grew up with such depressed unhappy and mentally unwell people and the only way i could ever see glimpses of them the real them 
was when I would make them laugh. And so I learned very quickly that my love language would be humor and Mm. that humor would be my survival mechanism. And if I wanted to see my parents, you know, my real parents, that I would have to make them laugh and entertain them to be able to get them out of their sadness. And same thing with uncles, you know, siblings, etc. And so I became the family clown and the class clown except I think everyone was probably laughing at me not with me um and and I've just continued my clownery into adulthood and it makes me feel safe and I only really feel you know if I'm honest I only really feel alive when I'm laughing or I'm making them laugh yeah. uh it's just how I've it's my biggest coping mechanism and I found it's also been why my social justice work has been effective like for example I was able to get that that global policy changed and get into Congress uh, regarding diet and detox products because I made a heinously disgusting parody video of an influencer if they were honest and really drank those drinks and what would happen to them. And this involves like me like like crying and sort of shitting... um, Um, shitting fire really on a toilet in a video that went viral around the world and ended up on the news in Japan, India, Australia, America. It was seen everywhere millions and millions of times. And that video helped me start a petition regarding these diet and detox products that got 250,000 signatures in three days. And uh, then I was able to take that and move Facebook and Instagram to be more responsible. And then eventually it led to me in Congress being able to you know, talk about diet culture for children and and teens. Like it, it paved the way, it like fast tracked me through social justice work. It's so ridiculous that the most like uncouth, foul, but ultimately like memorable and it, it, it made it, I don't know what it is about humor, but it just, it, it stays in the brain in a different way. It's just much, much more like poignant for some reason sometimes. Mm. You can't it, do that with everything, but it had de- it definitely has been more effective for me personally in the areas in which i work and do you think it's it's a a weapon that women in our industry or in the arts can uh, sort of use and utilize no i don't i don't i mean i think we should but we've been discouraged from doing so and like you know this funny women have been treated like some sort of anomaly Why like are for the so longest i mean funny even women. someone as brilliant and educated as christopher hitchens just so fucking ignorant about women you know he wrote that piece for vanity fair about why women aren't funny and it's the dumbest shit i've ever read from one of the smartest men you know ever um mm. in some ways i think until pre bridesmaids with the exceptions of people like Whoopi, you know, Goldberg, I think we only allocated certain women to be allowed to be funny. Women who men already did not deem societally attractive. They were allowed to be funny because men didn't want to fuck them. It's only like post the kind of bridesmaids era that we've seen more women be allowed to be, I don't know, societally deemed acceptable, but also quite funny. We've just like opened the we've opened up the spectrum of who's allowed to be funny and humorous. Women are so much funnier than then they know what they are ever encouraged to be. When I'm alone with women, they're so much funnier than they are when men are around. And that makes me so sad. And it's some sort of subliminal conditioning that's like, don't be your full self. Don't be too quick. Don't intimidate someone with your wit or your humour. And that makes me sad. But Phoebe doesn't do that. She doesn't hold back. She's hilarious. Well, I do have to ask you a difficult final question. If you did okay, have to on. choose one book from the list as a favourite, which okay, one wait, would it wait, be wait, wait, and wait, why? Wait. Is it, is this the book that, 
I would want to read again and again and again or the book that I think is the most important like if I was president of the world and I had to force everyone to read just one book like what's the context here it's very stressful I think it should be the book that you would want to read again and again yourself I think if it was the book I wanted to read again and again and again just because I have read it again and again and again it would be Everything's Trash But It's Okay by Phoebe Robinson because it's so fucking enjoyable but I'm just going to add here if there was a book that I had to mandate for the world it would be period power of all of them oddly I think it's the book that the world most needs to understand because it's it's going to happen forever it's been happening forever let's just finally fucking understand it I'm Zowie Ashton and you've been listening to the Women's Prize for Fiction podcast. Please rate and review this podcast. It's the easiest way to help spread the word about the female talent you've heard about today. Thank you so much for listening. Hope to see you next time. You've been listening to the Women's Prize for Fiction podcast, brought to you by Baileys and produced by Birdline Media.